Hello, everybody, and welcome to Time and Attention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the co-host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 88, Writing Tips. You're just the host. Was that? No, you're the host too, (laughs) which means we're the same level. There's two hosts. We're both co-hosts. Now you're the host. Why? I just want to be along for the ride. Every you you have no idea how many people write in when I call myself the host because they say <laughs> your wife is on there with you every single episode, but yet you call yourself the host. Yeah, this is actually yeah. a case of me saying I don't want to be a co-host. Yeah, but nobody knows that. I know, and okay. so I get all the You can call me heat. whatever you want. I don't you're care. a co-host. Okay, you are officially a co-host, and I'm the host uh, of this podcast. Yeah. All right, writing tips. Yeah, we Um, both write a lot. And I mean, as an academic, writing publications and writing papers is a big part of my job. Yeah. What percent of your job would you say is actual writing? Ooh, um, actually, I think it's about like about a quarter of my job because I think a lot of my work kind of has to be front loaded with like analysis and research, which Mm -hmm. is not usually part of my writing process, I guess. I'm, or I'm not actively writing when yeah. I'm preparing for that piece. But that informs what you do write. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I basically like, I mean, I think right now I'm splitting most of my time 50-50 between teaching and research. Hmm. Um, and the writing component is only a fraction of that active yeah. research time. Yeah. But yeah, but I all guess feeds, about a quarter of my time. It, it all feeds into a product that you write. Yeah. Like the end product that you produce are... Uh, journal articles, right? Yeah. And it's all related to my teaching. It's all related. Everything is related. That's just my life. Do you have a Google Scholar page? I do, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Everybody, uh, can they follow you? I guess. Yeah? Yeah. I Are, mean, right now, it's I'm just like wrapping up a lot of projects. Yeah. So right now, there's nothing going to be posted for a little while. You have like 10 things you're, you're in yeah. the middle of. And they're all like two months from being done, which yeah. is a lot of time. We never talk combined. about where people can follow us. I feel people on podcasts are always pushing and, and pimping their, their social media. Social media, you can't follow me at all. Everything is private. Yeah, everything is private. <laughs> Very yeah. intentionally private. Yeah. So I can't be followed anywhere, but yeah. you can. Yeah, I guess we should say, or else that segue was for nothing. <laughs> uh, Twitter, uh, Chris underscore Bailey and Instagram, Chris Bailey Auth as an author. Yeah, now and yet another awesome. reason why you're the co the host, yeah. and I am not a co-host. I guess so. I, I guess so. don't participate <laughs> in these social media things. But we do a lot of writing, both mm-hmm. of us. We we both create end products that are written pieces of work. You have your journal articles. I have a, a few books um, that you know we talk about a lot on the podcast. The new one, I should say, another plug: How to Calm Your Mind. If you're interested in it, uh, finding presence and productivity in anxious times. Uh, Very excited to chat more about that as we go on. But we both write a lot, and that's something we realized in prepping this episode. And so we wanted to set aside one little episode of the Pado to chat about writing tips, the things that we have learned often the hard way uh, for creating these products that we're hopefully proud of. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I know my biggest challenge with writing... Yeah. Is just starting. So oh. I think I think there's like two kinds of pieces of advice here. There's the first one, which is how to like motivate yourself and build good habits around yeah. writing. Cause it can be really daunting for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people do have that problem. 
The other piece is the like technical side of like how to be a better writer. And those are two different kinds of skills. Like one is honing your craft once you're actually in the zone. Yeah. And the other is just finding the zone and it, getting into and, writing and it's it so, all. It's so true on episode number 27, uh, we chatted about the triggers of procrastination. And so the more of these attributes that a task has, the more likely we are to put it off. And those are whether something is boring, frustrating, difficult, ambiguous, unstructured, lacking in personal meaning and lacking in intrinsic rewards. And you look at writing and relative to the other things we have, you know, checking email is often exciting. There's often new things coming in, but writing is boring. It's frustrating. It's difficult. It's ambiguous. It's unstructured. And so I think you'll see in the strategies that we provide that uh, help you get started. It's to combat a lot of those different things. The fact that there often is no structure, the fact that it is often frustrating because like you said, getting started really is the hardest part for a lot of people. But that's why. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, do we want to start with big picture stuff or more like technical nitty gritty stuff? Oh, what do you mean big picture? I mean, how to get started and how to form a habit around making it less ambiguous. Sure. Okay. I mean, for me, I try to set a 15 minute rule where I just give myself 15 minutes to just try to settle in and recognize mm. I'm probably not going to get anything super brilliant written in that first yeah. 15 minutes. I don't know anybody who can just start off the go like get go, no, super accurate and like precise and brilliant when they're writing. Yeah, and that that's often my strategy too. Is I'll just write, and yeah. it can be about the weather. <laughs> so sometimes I actually do start with the weather, um, and then just slowly ease into the topic I'm writing about. Because you're not writing like on Twitch, you know, where people can see a stream of what you're writing. Yeah. You can delete things, and often writing nonsense or just kind of approaching the topic um, is a great way to warm up that part of your mind, settle into the ritual. And when you're okay to write garbage, when you give yourself permission to write garbage, you kind of open up a, a floodgate sometimes in your mind where you're not afraid to take risks as you go on. And I think that risk-taking is is so critical when it comes to writing because you end up throwing a lot of risks out. Like writing is one of those those beautiful uh, sandboxes where you can take risks and if they don't work out, you can just erase history uh, yeah. unlike in real life where you yeah. have to live for, you know, up to your consequences for your actions. Y yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a very dramatic way of just saying <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect the first time. Yeah, editing I, is okay. Editing is okay. And I think that for me was a huge shift point. And I mean, that should be super obvious, but I think maybe sometimes, especially if you're a perfectionist, which I know I tend to be, um, going into something, not knowing if it's going to be perfect can be very stressful and can be like prohibitively stressful where you yeah. don't even want to start because you don't know exactly how you're going to say something. So I've gotten in the habit of, if I'm really starting from scratch, I usually just bullet points. Like yeah. I will draft yeah. an outline, just basically brain dump any bullet point that comes to mind because it's so much easier to edit even even fairly incoherent nonsense. You can usually edit it and shape it to be a lot more refined and way clearer is, after you've started. Is this a big picture thing or is this a nitty gritty thing? Still big picture. Okay. Because, I mean, this will help make writing less daunting by mm. approaching it with a, just a kind of outline and, and approaching it as doesn't have to be perfect the first time. I think that's a very big picture approach. Yeah. But related to this is also tracking progress. Yeah. And I know this is something you do yeah. all the time, right? And, and this is tough to do for a book project 
Uh, and this is kind of something I settled into with the first book, but for some reason, I, I did a lot of things wrong when I wrote the first book um, in terms of the actual process of writing. But one of the things I, I think I did well was tracking my progress through it. Because uh, the fact of the matter is when you have a, a, a book deadline, you have to hit it, especially mm-hmm. if you're writing a book on productivity. Because <laughs> if you're writing a book on productivity and you don't hit the deadline that they give you, what good is your book, really, when you think about it? Uh, so my strategy for this is to keep a, a simple chart around uh, where I work and where I live. And so I think you've probably encountered a couple... Yeah, oh, yeah. you're rolling your eyes. Uh, you've probably encountered a couple of, of these too. So I just print a simple chart and on the left axis, the, y, the y-axis, as you say, in your technical uh, mumbo-jumbo, uh, on the left axis is the word count. So it goes, say a book is 75,000 words. That's the target I'm trying to hit. On the bottom is zero. On the top is, if it's 75, I'll go 85, maybe tops. Um, and on the bottom is the time. And so the weeks that, that I have until the book deadline hits. And so there's a trend line that goes from the bottom left to the top right. Uh, and that has the number of words that I need to write every single week as sort of a pacing line. So I know that with my word count every week that fluctuates relative to this pacing line, if I'm ahead of schedule or behind schedule, if I'm ahead of schedule, that's great. I have more time to do a bit of research maybe as I write to do more interviews, to do more editing as I write too. And if I'm behind, Maybe that's a sign that I need to focus more and just hunker down and write. Uh, And I find that having reminders of this pace everywhere. So I print this off and I put it uh, on the fridge I've done. I put it on the wall of the office in here. Um, And I usually overwrite a little bit. So if if a book deadline is, or if if a book word count is 75,000 words, I'll aim for 80 or 85 by the time uh, that the deadline hits, um, or before then. So I I have a bit of buffer to remove things because if you have to remove things you've written, it's going to be a lot tighter than if you just hit that and uh, don't give yourself any slack. Yeah, I have used this in the past when I was writing. Have you done this? Yeah, so before, yeah, of course I've done this. You you rave about this all the time. But this is inspired by uh, your husband. It it was, I guess. hell yeah. I don't do this all the time. I've only ever really done this like once or twice. And this was when I was starting a totally new project under a really tight timeline. So when I went on the (laughs) academic job market, I wrote, because my data collection schedule got all messed up during COVID, I didn't end up with my data for my like final paper that I went on the job market with until basically a few months before the job market began. That was crunch time for you, wasn't it? Yeah, and so I had a very tight deadline to write a really polished paper. And I had already (laughs) thought about it a lot ahead of time. Like It wasn't starting from absolute scratch. I knew the literature already. I had all my code ready to go as soon as the data came in. So I was well prepared. It just meant that there was a really intense period of like writing up what I found. Well, your work seems to be 85 or 80% like thinking about the thing, researching the thing, then 20% writing the thing. But the writing time seemed to be very compressed for that. <laughs> that yeah, that was paper. super compressed. I don't <laughs> like writing under those conditions, but I had to and it went well. So yeah. all that to say, I did write this thing under a really tight time period and I knew roughly how long the paper was going to have to be. And so I did follow, I did put together some kind of chart. I didn't have it printed. 
Yeah. I try to go very paperless. So I just have a, a like a window on my computer where I go and track this every day. I did track it every day. Nice. Um, and it did, it was super motivating to kind of see, especially like seeing the progress was so satisfying. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so, if you have a day when you write like a thousand good words, it, yeah. it's amazing to put that up by a thousand and see the, the lines shoot up relative to the pace. Yeah. There were a few days I had like 2,000, 3,000 words, which was crazy. Yeah. And I'm, it was very satisfying. That's like to Alexander put those in. Hamilton level writing. Oh, what a compliment. Yeah. Um, Running out of time. Yeah. But that, so I, I have done this. I don't do this all the time, especially because I think word count alone is not always a good measure, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're editing, sometimes your word count would be negative and that's an awesome thing. Yeah. Like right now I'm in the middle of editing a paper and I'm pretty sure I'm cutting more than I'm, I'm writing. But it is still a lot of writing. And so I think somewhere I do actively track writing time. And I think for me, that's a more accurate measure because I very rarely am starting from scratch with a paper. I'm Mm -hmm. usually kind of like building and because a lot of my projects are very close to done right now. And so, um, yeah, for me, a lot of my time is spent editing and kind of honing in and crafting. Well, you are right. That is a weakness of this strategy. And it it does work really well for a book where you have a a target word count. But when you don't have a target word count and you kind of have to ballpark it, uh, you may be writing inefficiently. Uh, You know, you might be throwing too many words together and, and you could say things more succinctly. And you're right about the other thing too, is when you edit, hopefully you, or maybe your word count goes down. Yeah. And so that doesn't feel good when you update, <laughs> when you update. But I find that's kind of like, it smooths out the editing over the timeline of the project. And so I don't just edit it all at the end uh, hmm. because I don't want to lose like 10,000 words of my hard work at the very end of the project. I'll edit at the end of the week before I do the word count update. And then, uh, so it's a lot smoother and, and the sections tend to flow uh, more easily into one another. But hmm. again, you know, as with everything on the pod, take what works for you and leave the rest. But I yeah. find it works really well. I usually leave editing to the end of a project. Hmm. Um, I like to just get it all out there and then see what I'm working with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'll edit by section. But yeah, I think editing is your best friend and you should start thinking about editing as part of the process, not just like, a oh, I have to run it through Grammarly at yeah. the end. Yeah. Um, you should really think of editing as kind of like the second round of writing. Now, and the first one was just a brain dump. One, one thing that comes before editing, though, is outlining. So when you had that big crunch time project, did you have an outline for it? Yeah, I did. Yeah? I had an outline of all the sections that I knew I needed to include and obviously those changed. There were some yeah. areas where I'm like, oh, I should just turn this into a new section or I should just collapse these two sections. So obviously outlines change. They're not fixed yeah. in stone. Wonderful thing about writing. Nothing is set in stone. No, it all can change in an instant. Yeah. So yeah. I did have a very set outline. I had, a, I had my outline written months before I had my data because yeah. I knew roughly what I wanted the paper to look like. I just didn't know what the data was going to tell me at the end. Because that's like a, a good real world, um, you know, tire to the pavement kind of test of like whether you actually rely on outlines is people talk a lot about outlines. I, I remember way, way back in the day in, in university and high school and stuff like that, uh, people always said, oh, you need an outline for the stuff you write. But I never had one because I, I always <laughs> thought it was like an extra step. But now that I write things that actually, you know, more than one person read, um, <laughs> I, I find it's invaluable. Yeah, when, when you know what you're going to say ahead of saying it. Yeah, I think that. So when I, I think when I was mentioning an outline, I was just talking about sections. But mm. I had an outline for within sections too, like even how I structured 
my, especially with an introduction, like really being clear about like these, I'm going to have one or two paragraphs dedicated to this one or two paragraphs dedicated to this. Um, and I think for, at least for, I'm an academic, so I write, most of my writing is academic writing. And the wonderful thing about academic writing is when you're reading the literature, you can get a sense of how other really good papers structure their writing. And so mm-hmm. I, I very, I, I very much do like try to learn from, from the papers that I read. And so I'm actually actively looking at how others have int- like outlined their introductions and using something similar. Why do you think outlines are so helpful? They just help you clarify your thinking a little bit hmm. um, and, and give you kind of a direction as you're in the middle of it. Because it, yeah. I have said a couple of times in the podcast that normally my first draft is a lot of like brain dumping and just getting my ideas on the paper. Yeah, And that can be a little directionless unless you have an outline, which makes editing a lot easier. So mm-hmm. I think it just makes your whole thought process more cohesive, yeah. especially if you can think about edit, or like if you can design an outline early and give yourself time to think about it, you can also polish the paper before you've even written it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I think if you have an architecture or a framework that your ideas can fit into, and especially when that framework is comprised of the very ideas that you're writing about, which is what an outline is, it it's going to take the shape of whatever you decide it to be in the outline. And so the outline is when you decide on the shape um, of what you're writing. And so if you're writing a book, you get to decide if you're, uh, you know, when the ideas come into play and when they build on, on top of one another. If you're writing, I don't know, an essay is just the example that comes to mind. But if you're writing a, a report, you get to decide when you talk about certain ideas in that report so that they can build towards the actual point that you want to make as well as the difference that you want to make. Like I, I think, and you know, this is what I do, so I'm a bit more passionate about this idea than, than most people, but you know, why write anything if what you write does not make a difference? in what you intend for it to accomplish. And that's true for writing a report, a book, an essay, a tweet, you know, maybe not a tweet, tweets are dumb. Uh, but it, that's true for most forms of writing, I think. And so when you get to structure it ahead of time, it's like it's like a superpower. You get to mold things in the direction that you want them to go and think through them so you don't find yourself, you know, halfway through writing a book or an essay just totally lost. And I think that writer's block that a lot of people talk about, I I think a lot of that comes from not having a clear structure to what you want to say ahead of saying it. Uh, Because if you did, you would know the very next thing that you need to do in order to move that writing forward, in order to make progress. You have your framework, you have your architecture, you have your direction. But when you don't, you know, it's so easy to get lost. And that feeling of being lost in your own writing comes from not having that roadmap, I think. Hmm. I don't really write anything that wouldn't have a clear case for an outline, but I feel like fiction might be an exception where neither of us do any writing of fiction. Yeah. Because I know I'm just thinking of Stephen King who says he just sits down <laughs> and writes without any plan, Yeah. Um, which is from the book on writing. But that's a very different style of writing. Yeah. And probably very different than what most people are doing. So I think mm-hmm. these kinds of structures can be very helpful if you have a clear like purpose to come across in, yeah. in, in your writing. Yeah, yeah totally uh, agree. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, that's a fantastic book on, on writing by Stephen King. One yeah. of my fa- Do you have any other favorite 
writing resources. I, oh my gosh, yes. I, I know you love uh, Elements of Style. Yes, I love Elements of Style by Strunk and White. Strunk and White. Strunk and White. Strunk and White. Um, I think. Yes, Strunk and White. Um, this is not a new book. This is, I think, fairly old. And it's also very short. It's also extremely dry. Oh. But I did have, I had a wonderful- Your kind of book then, as an economist. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I mean, this was I, I, this was recommended to me by my supervisor, my wonderful supervisor years ago. And because I, I, th- he knew I was really excited about becoming a better writer. And this is just an excellent guide on how to be a very clear and concise writer. I don't know if I am a great writer. I definitely try to be improving constantly. Um, I think you're a great writer. Well, that's nice of you. But I, I, all, all that to say, I think I've become a better writer because of this book. Yeah. Uh, it just is. It just really makes it clear on how you should think about writing sentences and yeah. paragraphs and how to think about writing in general. And it just is the Bible when it comes to writing clearly. Yeah. And I advise everybody that I work with to, to read this book because it's great. Uh, one of the reasons I think you're a, a great writer or one of the things that makes you a, a great writer and th- this is something that Stephen King talked about in On Writing, is to write well, you have to read a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more you read, the better you write. Just because you encounter so many different voices. And you know, in thinking about this and assembling the, the uh, outline, speaking of outlines uh, mm-hmm. of this episode, um, re- reading helps a surprising amount when it comes to writing. And uh, it's curious because I find that certain authors have sort of a more contagious writing style to me. Hmm. Uh, so if I read a J.K. Rowling book, for some reason, her, her books, and Malcolm Gladwell is like this too, and Stephen King, in fact, oh, the, yeah. the man himself. Uh, if I read one of their books, I find I write like them automatically without thinking about it. Uh, and that's just kind of what huh. I notice because they have this this prose, this timber, this flow to what they to what they talk about, to what they write about. And I find I write like them just automatically. And mm. in observing that tendency, you know, how could that only be true for those three authors? Yeah. So the more good writing you encounter and read and consume, the more you internalize the different permutations of sentences and structure, and the better you become at writing. And I really, really believe that uh, the best way to become a better writer is to read a lot, but also to write a lot. Uh, writing is a skill, like pretty much everything else on, on the planet. It's a practice. And so the more you write, the better you get at writing, just like anything. Yeah. And back to the reading a lot point, Yeah, you should also read work that's related to what you're doing, right? I know as an academic, reading academic papers is really helpful because that's the kind of style that I'm trying to emulate. And academic writing is very much its own style compared to like nonfiction writing or fiction writing. Can you, Although do that, you think it has a style or is it, yeah, is it, academic it really does. writing like the color gray where it's just the absence of all other colors? No, no, I don't, I don't think that's true <laughs> <Or> because <black. laughs> I really actually would disagree because I think academics and academic writing in particular is, is very intentional about how it, it comes across. Like mm. it, it is intentionally dense because you're communicating with other experts, right? Yeah. If you want to communicate with the broader public, you write in different journals. So if you're reading journals that are, are for experts, you write to those experts. Yeah. If you're reading general interest journals, that's a very different audience. And okay. so 
getting familiar with the kind of language and the tone that's used in these different um, different kinds of outlets is, I think, really important too. Uh, that's an interesting point because you do come across the occasional journal article, and this happens to me often, where I just think, oh, this could be an entire chapter of a book. But because it's just so dense and like, just like, it, it's like taking a, a picture in, in PowerPoint or something and dragging it from the top right corner down to the bottom left, where it's the same amount of information, just heavily, heavily compacted without much space between that information. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I guess the word I'm looking for is dense. Dense is the word. (laughs) Although that said, I think there's still a lot to be said about writing clearly and articulately, even as an academic. And I'm not defending all academics because there's a lot of academic writing out there that's basically impossible to read. Yeah. Um, and so reading other sources and like a variety of types of reading can make you a just generally better writer, even if it's not in, entirely in your domain. Become Reading more, it just generally makes you a better writer. It's funny, when, when I'm reading uh, academic, can, do you find this too where you can always tell when somebody is trying to sound smart? I've literally never thought about that. No, yeah. I don't no? know. No, I've never. It's like, oh, you didn't have to use that word. Like you're just showing off. You no, know, I think, don't you I, think I, usually, I honestly, I, I come across big words in academic papers and they're usually very purposeful. I, okay. Maybe it's hmm. different in, in econ journal articles. I actually do think that's probably true. Yeah. Economics is its own little world. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all that to say, reading a lot, writing a lot will help you. And after the fact, things like Grammarly and having an editor editor tool yeah. are so helpful. And I, I, I mentioned Grammarly because I think it's just infinitely better than any built-in like word editor in, mm-hmm. in Google Docs or in Microsoft Word. Yeah, that'll do spell check for you, but it won't help you craft your sentences in a way that just Grammarly does so much better. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure there are other tools out there, but Grammarly can do quite a lot for you for free. Yeah. And so I think... It is something I use all the time. It's something I tell my students to use when they're doing written projects. I think it's just insanely helpful. Yeah. Um, so you try downloading Grammarly. It also integrates with everything. If you mm-hmm. use Word, if you use Google Docs, it just integrates, which is just lovely. So I, I use it all the time mm-hmm. too. Uh, you know, I, I feel there's kind of two layers of grammar that Grammarly helps you with. There's like the dumb things yeah. the, where you just look dumb using there, the wrong there or two or something. Yeah. And everybody, I've, I do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it catches stupid things like that, but also catches like clarity issues Yeah, where it, it can actually, it, it's, it's, it's worlds ahead of the default grammar editor built into Microsoft Word. Gra- turns out grammar editing has gotten significantly better since that feature was invented. <laughs> and uh, Grammarly is the best that I've, I I use it probably every day. The app is kind of annoying on the computer, uh, but I, I love the website. Yeah. One yeah. thing I know, back to this drunken white book, yeah. after I read Elements of Style, I got so many fewer uh, clarity issues or recommended fixes in Grammarly. Like really? a noticeable drop in how much, how many fixes they were telling me I needed wow. to make. I became a, like Grammarly at least thought I was a better writer. So <laughs> that was kind of nice. So at least Grammarly. One data point yeah. suggesting uh, Strunk and White and Elements of Style might be helpful. Love it. But it will put you to sleep. I did fall asleep reading it a couple of times. That's it's, a, and it's like, 30 pages. Ooh, Isn't it, it is, like super it short? It is dry. And, but yeah, I think it's like 80 pages or something like that. Mm. But it's pretty dry. So read it in the morning while you're drinking coffee. Good um, stuff. But I think, so we've now covered a lot of the like nitty gritty details about like things like using Grammarly, 
Anything else you want to cover? No. Ooh. I think we've crammed a lot into this. This is a dense episode. I have one question what? though. Do you write every day? Because this was the piece of advice I was given when I started my master's. Somebody in academic counseling said, you should try to write every single day. And I have never understood this advice. I know, I think the bigger advice that this is trying to touch on is touch like a pro- your project that you're working on, you should touch it every day in some yeah. way. Like you should yeah. work on a project and make progress on it in some way every single day. Because I do think there's something to the fact that if you sit away from a project or you step away from it for too long, mm-hmm. kind of like morphs into this monster in your head mm-hmm. and it becomes scarier and scarier to come back into. So I think there's something to be said for working on a project that you're actively trying to finish every single day. Yeah. But I don't know about this writing every day thing. So what do, do you mm. do this every day? I, I do have a lot of friends that say, you know, if you're working on a project, touch it every day. I, I personally don't hmm. um, because I, I find that the projects that, and I've done enough projects, again, writing is a skill that hopefully you get better at. I think I've gotten better at it over time. Um, and so my warm-up phase is shorter than it used to be. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is we all have like our peak writing ability. And depending on how good of a writer we are, it takes a varying amount of time to get up to that peak writing ability again. Mm-hmm. And for me, if, if I haven't, it, it depends how long I go without writing, but if I go a little while, like, I don't know, a few weeks, I guess that's, that's a long while for mm-hmm. me. Uh, but if I go a few weeks without having written, it might take a good three or four days of trying to write and struggling uh, to get back up into shape. Uh, mm-hmm. But I find that because my work has a lot of other elements that it, it, you know, that's okay because the projects that I work on are bigger, though I do feel a bit less nimble. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think, so I think I feel the same way, but just replace like specifically writing with working on a given project. Because yeah. I don't, I don't write a, a uh, I don't write for a project every day, but I will work on a project yeah. every single day, even yeah. if I'm not writing. So I think that the write every day advice that you see everywhere is more a just work on a project every day. Write frequently. Yeah, write frequently. Yeah. I mean, write a lot. That makes you a better writer. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's just kind of bullet points or yeah. jot notes for yourself. I mean, if you wanted to become the, the... If you really worked at becoming the best emailer in the world and you spent like three or four hours on email every day, that's a lot of writing time too. Yeah. Uh, I think it comes down to that deliberate practice, maybe yeah. more so than, than other things. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully you... Uh, you, you have the opportunity to create more than email yeah. in, in your writing life. And if you're finding you're having some trouble like getting into the flow, try reading for 15 minutes before mm-hmm. you start writing. That sometimes yeah. makes it a little less daunting. Read somebody you find contagious, maybe. Yeah. Like a Stephen... You find that with Stephen King too, where you write like him? Oh yeah, his books are just like candy. Yeah, <laughs> And you write <laughs> you like him after, after reading. I don't know if I've ever... I write very different stuff than he would. I, I write very academic, so that's, yeah. that's the default tone. But maybe I do. I don't know. I've never your thought pa- about him. Do your papers have horror scenes? Yeah. All of a sudden, there's horror at the end. Yeah. The p-values are greater than oh, 0. Make, 0.05. Make sure you follow uh, Arden Nordstrom on Google <laughs> Scholar, everybody. A uh, lot, lot crammed into this to, to find her short academic stories. Novellas yeah. on, on academia. I do not have those. <laughs> those do not exist. <laughs> How popular do you think uh, an academia novella would be? Maybe as popular as my academic papers. 
which is very little. <laughs> wow, yeah, your your work makes a, a real world difference too. But uh, we covered a lot. Read a lot. Write a lot. Grammarly is fantastic too. Uh, try that word count relative pacing strategy if you have a big project that you're working on. Outline because it'll make your writing better. If you're sick of hearing people say that, uh, I think everybody is, but it really, really, really is effective. Finding ways of just starting, you know, not worrying about how bad something is at the beginning. Maybe trying a, a focus mate session, which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast, um, right? Every day, do, do not. There is no try. Is that the quote? I don't know. Do or do but not. But always there. make sure you set up time for yeah. editing. As Yoda would say. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do or do not. There is no try. Yes. Okay. And Yo- uh, Yoda? Yeah. 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 I think. I think it's Yoda. Clearly, we're not huge Star Wars fans no. here. Sorry, well, folks. You, you are. I've watched Star Wars about a billion times, but I don't know if I would describe myself as a, a big fan. I just have a family that's big fans. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad, yeah, podcast listener, huge nerd about Star Wars, and among other things. As is Hi, like Steve. a lot of people in my family. So I think that's, uh, yeah, I've just seen them a million times. So I think it's Yoda. Favorite Star Wars? Um... No, I don't have one. Okay. Maybe episode six. All right. Maybe you aren't a fan then. Um, so yeah, <laughs> give yourself time to write. It can be very rewarding, especially when your writing makes a difference. And thank you for uh, tuning in to another episode of Time and Attention. Time and Attention.fm is where you can find all, all of the previous episodes of the podcast, everybody. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye.